Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Well, hello there, friend. I am so glad to be with you again. I can't wait to dig into today's episode because it's our first one answering a listener question. So remember, we have this cool feature on our podcast page where you can click the Ask Me Anything button and you can send a video, audio, or text message to me with any questions that are popping up for you about our conversations. And today's question is a good one, and I think it's one that so many people have, but they're afraid to ask. So uh, today's question comes from Sharon, who writes, I love the resources you share every week, but why isn't more of your stuff free? Your audience is teachers, and we don't have a lot of money. I feel like I'm missing out on so many of your resources in the membership because I can't afford the yearly fee. So, um, does that question make you feel a little uncomfortable, my friends? Or maybe it's a question you've been dying to ask as well. Either way, I am so happy that Sharon sent this in because it's, it's something I'm really, really passionate about, actually. So, let's get started. Now, number one, Sharon, I just want to thank you for starting this honest conversation. So many people are nervous to talk about money. So let's just just put that right out there. If you're uncomfortable talking about money um, or asking questions like that, I get it fully. I get it. Uh, but the only way that we're going to crack this open is if we have a dialogue. And I think it's important that we have one because it's one of the many ways that our world works and it operates is through money. So I'm really grateful for your question, Sharon. And I'm also so glad that you do enjoy the resources that we provide. Now, at the core of this conversation are a few key beliefs, one of which is the philosophy of sharing ideas and whether or not that should be open source or free, or if there should be a paid component to it. Uh, the mindset of teacher pay, we're going to get into that a little bit, and the uncomfortable idea that businesses are profiting off of underpaid individuals, right? Now, we're going to dig into all three of these today. Um, so, and I think that's important too, because just to frame it for yourself, this is a civil discourse, my friends. My um, my seventh grade daughter is working on the American election unit in her uh, social studies class. And they did an entire kind of preamble, if you will, on civil discourse and the idea that there are no right and wrong answers here. So my whole goal in this conversation today is not to change your opinion. It's to share a little bit about why we make the decisions that we make as an organization, as well as to share some of the things that I have learned in business over the last decade. Because I will tell you, as a teacher, my understanding of business was very different than when I actually had to step into it 
and I had to understand things like profit structure. Um, so I want to share some of that with you today so that you are empowered to make the decisions that you feel are best for you. Okay. That's the framework that I want to start with. I also want us to begin with a simple phrase that comes from the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which is on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, But there is a phrase on there that says, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. All right. Now let's, let's think about that one moment. Just give yourself a second to let that sink in. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So let's take something that we're all really familiar with. Let's say uh, you register for a free trial of a software that you've been looking at. Maybe it's Padlet. Maybe it's another, it, it could be anything. It could be Seesaw. It could be um, even Google G Suite. It could be anything that you register for, for a free trial. You're not paying any money for it. If you're not paying money for that software service, or if you download a free um, lesson plan from Teacher Pay Teachers, for example, okay, every single time that you download something for free, then what is actually being paid is for your information, your data, whether it's your email address, whether it's your um, computer IP address so that they can follow you around on Facebook and on Google with ads to remind you about this service. Whatever it is, if you are not paying dollars for to use something, you are the product. Now that can be a really uncomfortable thing to consider. I mean, because really, we're all educators here. How many of us have registered for free trials of stuff? And how many uh, fake email accounts do you all have? Because I know that I have many, right? That I know if I put my email address in here, that's where all the junk stuff goes. I think um, one of one of our staff members has one that has, uh, it's like, um, what it's something like her her name and um, wants free stuff like <laughs> and just if I'm pulling a name out of the hat here like Susan wants free stuff at gmail.com right like she has email addresses along those lines we all have those accounts right that are just meant for all the freebie stuff that we want to download um, and if you don't have one I guarantee you, you're gonna go set one up now <laughs> after this conversation um, but even then, Even then, when you're putting that information in, um, you're still going to be tracked online by cookies and firmware and all the things that go on in the back ends that we can't see, right? So that should make us a little uncomfortable. The idea that if it's free, then you are the product. Nothing is really free. That's the thing I've learned in 10 years of business. Nothing ever is really free. And we're going to dig into what that that means um, when we talk about the business models that people use, um, especially the things, the business models that we think are free. Nothing is free. Okay. I'm going to pull back the curtain for the for you on that. So the first thing we need to consider is our data privacy, right? So how much is free worth to you? Is it worth your privacy online? Is it worth your search history? Is it worth your email inbox being cluttered with all kinds of offers and coupons and all that other junk, right? 
Um, what is that worth to you in order for you not to have to spend the dollar? That's the first question that I want you to think about. Now, in terms of of our stuff, right? When people ask us, why isn't more of your stuff free? Um, 80% of what we offer on our site is free. If you go back and look at it, we have about 2,000 articles. We have 100 free lesson plans. We have a dozen free units that you can use, um, all kinds of samples, all of that. And most of that 80% that is free doesn't even require an email opt-in. There's no gated content. That's what they call that gated content where it requires an email address to access it. Some of it, it does because we like to be able to communicate with our audience um, regularly through our email list. And sometimes we sell to that list, but most times, again, nine times out of 10 when we're sharing information, it's because we wanna build a relationship with our audience because we value that. Um, so we will have some things where we're going to ask you to opt in with an email address. So that is free, but you're giving us your email address for that. Um, but most of what we offer for free is actually purely free content. And that's because um, when I started, I started as a teacher. I started as an educator. And when I first started looking at arts integration for our school, I was frustrated because most of what was out there was several thousand dollars to be really frank, you know, and we didn't have it. And so I ended up looking for grants. I went to our school board and advocated for, you know, a small micro grant. I think we got a total of maybe $1,500. And I was able to use that on um, purchasing some books for our teachers and one program that was, an, came as a DVD um, system from the Kennedy Center to get us started. Um, and at the time, I remember having the conversation with my administrator and saying, geez, everything is so expensive. And I and anything that wants like it that even is promising, I can read a little bit and then they want me to, you know, pay for the rest. And we, we don't have the money in our budget to do that. And so when I started our site, I didn't want that to be the experience for people. I wanted people to be able to actually get their arts integration efforts off the ground using purely free content from us. So that has always been baked into our mission. Now, that means that if 80% of it is free, 20% of it is paid content. And yes, a lot of our paid content is much more substantial than our free content. And I think that that's normal. I mean, I think that that is something that you would expect that if you're going to, you know, hand over the dollars for something, it should be more substantive, more um, kind of aligned with what you're doing, really research based, have a lot of excellent content with it. I think that's important if it's going to be paid content that it almost over delivers. So to Sharon's point that she would love to use our resources and feel like she's missing out because she can't afford the yearly fee right now for the accelerator. I get that because in all honesty, she probably is. Um, and so Sharon, I hear you on that. Um, and we're going to talk about different ways of which you could start to look at how to pay for that content um, without using your own dollars. We're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. Um, but I just want us to consider that I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, I think for those people who do invest in a membership, they expect that what is in there is going to be more substantive than the resources that are free on our site. And so 
I'm just putting that out there as a kind of a behind the scenes piece that we do have a lot of free content. I almost think it's overwhelming the amount of free content that we have. And part of what we charge for in our paid programs is to curate some of that and to stop the overwhelm and give you the things, just the things that you need at the right time. So again, um, it's just a matter of how you look at things and how you're viewing the, the actual content itself. So the other thing that I want us to think about here in this idea of free versus paid content is that paying for content that somebody else produced is okay. It doesn't make you or them a bad person. And I see this a lot with teachers that like, you know, they feel like they have to, to create everything themselves or else they're not a good teacher or that they somehow took a shortcut or they cheated in some way. Um, and on the flip side, I see lots of people villainizing others who sell their lessons online. Like think about all the people who are selling lessons on teacher pay teacher. Um, I see a lot of people in groups who really get upset that teachers are trying to make money on the lessons that they created. And here's what I'm going to say to both of those things. It, it doesn't make you a slacker or a worse teacher to pay for a resource that another educator created for you. Um, it makes you smart. It helps you um, kind of determine what you value. We're going to get into that in a minute. But selecting your values in, in terms of what's more important to you, your time or your money. And if you select your time as being more important, then there is no shame ever in downloading a lesson plan that somebody else wrote um, that you vetted. Now, that's a whole other kit and caboodle that we could go into in terms of quality. And you're going to want to make sure that you vet it. But certainly, I don't think it makes you a worse teacher. I think it, I, I personally think it makes you smart because you're making a choice based on your value set. Um, and it also doesn't make somebody a bad person for them to sell a lesson that they created. This is going to get into our teacher pay mindset that we're going to talk about shortly here. But this concept that if somebody has created a lesson, it has to be free, right? That we should always have to open source it. Not necessarily. Like if it's completely your idea and you put a ton of thought and energy into that, I say more power to you. I think that that is a generous thing that you can do is to share that with others and to be paid for the time and the content that you created. Um, and the last thing I'm going to say about this broad topic of paid versus free is that nothing is ever totally free, that people have to get paid, right? Because people don't work for free. You don't work for free and neither do I, right? Because we got bills to pay, right? <laughs> There's that song from Lunch Money Lewis, right? Like, I got bills, I got to pay, <laughs> right? So, um, nothing is going to be free. And so there's lots of different ways that that can happen in the back end that you might not see. For example, that people might be getting paid with grant money. There might be for-profit pay structures that are happening that you're not aware of, or there could be venture capital in there. So when you think you're downloading something for free, um, it's, there's a very likely possibility that somebody else has already paid for that and that that component or whatever may go away, right? If they can't find a structure 
to be able to make money long term, whatever it is that you think that you're using for free could very easily go away once that initial funding is gone. So keep that in mind, okay? Um, those are th some big ideas around framing this concept of free versus paid. Um, I want to talk a little bit about business models because I think it's important, and we're not going to go really, really deep in all the details of these. I'm giving you a broad brushstroke view of some business models, but I think it's important that we all understand that there are a variety of business models that are used, and that even in the ones that we think traditionally are not making money, they're making money. So let's have this conversation, right? So one thing that I've learned over the past decade is that you can never know someone's back-end business by what you see on the front end. All right, now here's what I mean by that. I once had um, an educator reach out to me who we had asked to be a part of, of one of our conferences, and she was very upset because she, she looked at what we were charging for a ticket fee for the event, and she looked at what we were paying presenters, which, by the way, let's just talk, side note, um, how many conferences teachers will present at and they don't get paid. That drives me crazy, my friends. If you are presenting at a conference, you should be paid for the, the information that you're sharing in some way, right? I don't care what that is. If it's a free ticket to the event or if it's an actual payment or something, you should be compensated in some way for presenting material that that conference is then making money on. Um, it drives me crazy that a lot of our national organizations do not do that and they expect teachers to just present for free um, and don't even comp their ticket, right? Something. You got to get something. Um, so for us, what that means for us is that we pay our conference presenters a an honorarium and we also comp their ticket to the events. That's how we um, would like to thank our presenters for their time and we share their value. Um, but she had looked at what that that pay structure, what we were charging per ticket, and she did a little math, right? She was like, well, if you have 2,000 attendees at this price per ticket um, registration, and you only have 20 presenters and you're paying them this much, you're making this much money off the back of teachers, and I can't get behind that. So that's looking at somebody's front-end business and making a decision about what the back-end looks like. What that teacher doesn't realize is that our conference platform costs us $14,000 a year to maintain. That's just the platform for delivery. Um, plus, on top of that, I have to pay staff to coordinate that event. I also have to pay staff in order to run the platform itself. Plus, I have to pay for advertising to get the word out about the event. Um, we have to pay for swag. We have to pay for... Um, keynote presenters, which oftentimes keynotes <laughs> run anywhere from $10,000 to $25,000 per keynote. Um, so at the end of the day, we're, there's no way we're making as much money as she thought we, we were making. But that's making a, a front-end decision on about a business without knowing anything about the back-end. And so with that story frame in mind, here are some realities that we need to remember about business models. So the first one is the idea of nonprofit versus for-profit. So let's talk about what those two things mean. 
For profit means at the end of the day, after you've taken away all of the expenses that a business has to has to endure or has to put out there, that there's still money left over, even after paying staff. Okay, so lots of times businesses will look at, okay, all of the other expenses and payroll is something separate, right? So a for-profit business is aiming to make more money than it puts out right? So you you have something left at the end of the day. Think of it in terms of your own budget that you're looking to spend less than you're making, right? <laughs> in your bank account. A nonprofit is aiming to break even. So that means that they pull in enough money to cover all of their expenses and their staff salaries, but doesn't have anything left over at the end of the day, right? They're just breaking even. That's what nonprofit means. It doesn't mean that they're not making money. I think that's a big misconception. Um, I will never forget the day that my husband came home and was so disheartened to hear that the CEO of the Wounded Warriors Project was making, I think, in excess of like half a million dollars a year um, of a nonprofit, that the CEO was making that much money from a nonprofit. He was so disheartened to hear that about a nonprofit. And I said, but at the end of the day, they're pulling in the money. They just need to break even, right? They need to not have anything left over. That's the whole point of a nonprofit. Um, so keep that in mind when you're thinking about businesses in terms of for-profit, nonprofit, in, and what their aim is. Now, there's also another one called a grant-funded model, which is a business that's fully run on grants. Um, that's a really tough business to be in because that means that the, all they're doing all the time is writing grants in order to pay for the content that they're producing for everybody else for free. Uh, lots of times this happens in curriculum. So if you're finding free curricula components, um, lots of times that's happening through grant funded models that the grant has paid for it. Now, we still might think of that as free. However, where are they getting the grants? Most likely it's from either a for-profit business that needs to get money off of the books or a non-profit business that needs to break even for the year so they got to throw some money out there as well. Or it could be for your tax dollars. So at the end of the day, you're still paying for it. <laughs> it's just a matter of how you look at that. Um, there's also a crowdsourced model, which is anytime you're looking for donations or um if you have an idea and you want somebody to kind of fund that idea for you to get it off the ground, think of uh, sites like Kickstarter is a crowdfunded model. Um, I see a lot of artists and musicians right now on social media that are putting up their PayPal account when they offer something for free. So a free concert or a um, kind of a free demo of what they're doing. And then they put their PayPal account in to accept donations. That would also fall under the crowdsourced model. Um, and then there's the for-profit model, which we talked about when we discussed the differences between nonprofit and for-profit. And so as an organization, to go back to Sharon's original question, um, we chose a for-profit model. And that was done on purpose, my friends. I could have very well started this organization as a 503c, which is a nonprofit model. Um, I actually had friends who did that in their organizations and highly advised me not to uh, because instead of creating content and really focusing on helping teachers, they were focused on asking for money from a variety of donors. And it just kind of sucked the creativity and lifeblood out of them. 
So that was one reason. Another reason is that I fully believe in the for-profit model. And maybe that's going to ruffle some feathers, but here's why I believe in that. Because I believe that as an organization, we set our, our organization up in order to leverage that profit at the end of the year. And here's how we do that. We commit to putting 10% of any profit we make back into teacher classrooms. And we do that with donors choose projects, adopt a classroom projects, through some grants to our um, certification program, and to people who, who send us financial aid applications for our um, programs and truly demonstrate a need. We take 10% of our profit and put it back into those components. I can't do that in a nonprofit model. So I believe that I can reinvest our profit in ways that are going to benefit teachers long term. Lots of times the profit that we make at the end of the year goes right back into our programs and making them better for our teachers and making them stellar uh, arts integration and STEAM opportunities for teachers. That's really important to me as a business owner. So that's why I chose the for-profit model. It's not so that I can buy like five yachts or a jet or go on a really nice vacation. It's so that I have some opportunities to reinvest in the teacher community that I value so highly. And it's also one of the main reasons that we charge um, and that our stuff isn't free because I can make a bigger impact in teacher um, opportunities, in, uh, in t classrooms around the world by having a for-profit model where 20% of what we offer is paid content. Okay. Now, when you're looking at organizations, um, I want you to think about how to look at a business or an organization holistically. So again, remember that idea that you can't judge a business from looking at their front end. You can't judge their back end, right? That we talked about at the beginning here of this segment. You want to look at them holistically. So if you're concerned about an organization making major profits off of um, teachers individually, right? Here's what I want you to do. Go take a look at their mission statement. Is their mission statement one of purpose or is it self-serving? So for example, our mission statement is all about how to get arts integration into the hands of at least 10,000, um, you know, teachers and classrooms throughout the world in the next five years. How do we go about doing that? That's a purpose-driven mission statement. Um, so take a look at their mission statement and does what they're offering support that mission statement? What are their core values? I love an organization that I can go into their about section and see their core values. That says so much to me about that organization that they're going to put those values right out there. We do that. I know a lot of other teacher-run organizations do that. Um, so definitely take a look at there and see if their core values align with yours. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Do they give back in some way? So if you're concerned about a for-profit, take a look at whether or not they are giving back actively and how do they do that? How large is their organization? Are they just focused on getting as many people into the organization and running it as possible? Or are they trying to streamline and, you know, work on a budget? And I'm not judging one way or the other, but it's something you want to look at. 
these are all good questions to ask when we're looking at, at um, organizations and to be mindful of the fact that people have to pay their bills and they're supporting others. So for us, you know, we have a team of five full-time people, as well as I believe at this point, 10 to 15 subcontractors on any given basis. And most of those people are depending on what we are doing to support their families. And that's a huge responsibility for us as well. And one that I take very, very seriously. Um, so that's why it's important to me that we are always producing the very best content that we can for teachers and supporting them when they're ready at that next step. Now, the last segment that I want to talk about here is about teacher pay mindset. We really need to look at our own mindsets about teacher pay and the value of what we choose to buy. Okay. First of all, nobody goes into teaching to become a millionaire. Now, we have heard stories of teachers who have become millionaires on sites like Teacher Pay Teacher or who started their own company and then moved into becoming a millionaire. And I say bravo to those teachers because I know teachers. Teachers are not just going to take that million dollars and go swim in it. You know, they're going to reinvest in teachers. They're going to put that money back into the teacher community. So I say way to go because the more teachers we have doing that, the more we're going to get our teachers supported and get them what they need. Um, but with that in mind, even though we don't go into teaching to become a millionaire, it doesn't mean that we need to keep up the mindset that we are poor either. And that is something, if I'm really honest, I get a little frustrated with when teachers, you know, use this excuse of um, poverty, that we don't get paid enough to do this. I believe that you do not get paid enough to do your jobs. You do not get paid enough to do what you are required to do. There's no way that we can pay you what you're worth. Um, because I believe that your worth is, is so much more than anything we could even possibly begin to pay you. But I also believe that your worth is not directly tied to money. So um, we all make choices on how we spend the money that we receive. And we have the ability to choose how and what we, we do with that money, right? I also believe that this is directly tied to our values. And again, thinking about this as a civil discourse, there's no right or wrong here. But I do want us to think about values that we could explore. So think about your own value set. Again, no judgments, right? Do you value your time over money? That's going to be indicative of what you choose to do with your money, whether or not you choose to spend it on something that is a resource for your classroom or not. Um, do you value supporting other educators? And if so, what does that look like for you? Maybe it's not buying their content, but maybe it is sharing their content on social media. That's a huge support for educators. I am like, I love it when people find our content and share it with their colleagues. Um, and if that's how they choose to support us rather than by paying for a resource or the, an accelerator membership or whatever, awesome, because there's so much value in that as well. But do you value supporting other educators or do you want it to come from a larger corporation? Do you value your family over your job? What does that mean for you? What does that look like for you? Again, no right or wrong answers here, but how we choose to spend our money is tied to these questions. And, and this is really important. Our choices do not 
and should not be judgments of someone else's values and motives. That's really important. Enough so that I'm going to say it again. Our choices, our individual choices, do not and should not be judgments of someone else's values and motives. They're ours. Okay, so I'm not going to judge yours and and hopefully you're not going to judge mine and we just respect each other. I think that's missing from so many dialogues that we have right now, right? Some people uh, believe that everything should be open source and teachers should all share freely. And I so respect this altruistic um, mindset, okay, but it also holds you back because you're missing a key component. Um, because would you expect to teach for free? No, I don't. I know of no person who would go in and teach um, their content area without receiving a paycheck. Um, even volunteers, they're not, they don't have your capacity as a teacher in a classroom or that responsibility. And so, no, you wouldn't expect to teach for free, right? So if people are developing their content and are requesting an exchange of value, which is what money is, an exchange of value for that content, you have the choice of either saying, I believe that's of that value and I'm willing to spend that or saying, nope, I really don't believe that that's of that value and I'm going to keep my money to myself over here. That's your choice. Um, But I don't believe you can take the choice away from that person who would like to be paid for the value that they are producing, okay? Um, We also can leverage the power of dialogue with our administration. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not teachers should pay for the tools to use in their classroom or whether that responsibility should be the burden of administration and our school boards. And we can definitely have that discussion and I think it's one of extreme value But if you believe, if your value set is that the administration or the school district should be paying for you to attend this PD or to use this curricula or to use these lesson ideas, then I want you to advocate for that. I don't want you to just say our our administration should be paying for that, so I'm not going to, and then limit yourself because you haven't taken that last step of actually going to administration and asking. I want you to go into your administration and say, here's what I would like. Here's why it's going to benefit our students. And here's how much it is. um, And see what they say. And if they say no, okay, then we've at least done that. Um, But most sites that I know, I know we do it. I know a lot of other uh, education sites will provide you with kind of like ready-made letters that you can use and send to your administrators to get the support that you're looking for. Um, So don't forget that you have power as well in asking your administrators um, to support and stand up for the tools that you need to do your job well. Okay, this was a hot button uh, episode for sure. It went a little bit longer than our normal 20 to 30 minutes. And if I'm honest, it felt a little vulnerable to have this conversation. Okay, Um, usually for me, when I feel that way, it's an indicator light going off somewhere in me that I have some work to do around an issue. And so probably I still have a little work to do around the money issue, right? 
If you're feeling the same way, I definitely get it. So maybe this week we can all do a little digging into why this is such a trigger for us and for so many others so that we can at least understand um, why we're, we're having this dialogue and conversation and, and why we want to bring this up. Um, with that said, I want to say thank you one more time to Sharon for being brave and submitting that question. I think it prompted us to have such a good conversation um, about this whole idea of free versus paid. Um, and whether or not you agree with me, I do hope that we've at least opened up some thought and reflection on our own values are surrounding this kind of topic. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and questions about this, right? Remember that just like Sharon, you can use the Ask Me Anything button on the podcast page to share with me your ideas and what's bubbling to the surface for you. Just head over to artsintegration.com forward slash spark chasers, and you'll find today's notes, contact area, and links for more resources. And if you're enjoying the show and know somebody who could benefit from our discussions, please share the podcast with them because together we can chase the spark of our ideas and make a brighter future for everyone. I'll see you soon. Well, check that off your list, my friend. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.